We noticed uh, the words of Jeremiah this morning, how the purpose of the clay is to yield to the potter and to allow it to be uh, to become and to be produced into something that is profitable for the kingdom, <clears throat> something that is uh, able to bring honor and glory to God. And as we look at the idea of not being saved simply to prevent us from going to hell and to only send us to heaven, we've been saved so that we might be able to be servants, to be profitable. And with that in mind, as we consider uh, the role that God has placed upon us in our interaction with the world, and the purpose is to reach out to the world and to be able to bring others to Christ through the teaching of the gospel, invariably, at some point, in our interactions with people, as we begin to teach the gospel, they will, in some fashion, make a statement concerning truth. Well, your truth may not necessarily be my truth. Or, how do you know that's the truth? Or, any there are a multitude of ways to put it. And when we think of that, the thing that comes to my mind are the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. Because they were self-righteous. They were unloving, they were uncaring, and they were hypocritical. And when Christ began to preach the truths of heaven, they became very nervous. And the longer He preached those truths, the more nervous and the more upset they became as He revealed to them the truth of heaven. In fact, they became so upset that they even wanted to kill Him, and eventually they did, because they did not want Him to speak the message of heaven. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I want us to notice verses, uh, beginning with verse 31. Of course, this is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And during this discourse, we come to verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, what's the truth? Jesus' word and the truth are synonymous. You cannot separate the truth from Jesus' word or Jesus' word from the truth because they are exactly the same things. It's like the body in the church. You can't take the body away from the church. You can't take the church out of the body because it's the same thing, right? They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Well, that was a bold-faced lie. They'd been in bondage not just to some man. They'd been in bondage to every man at some point in their history, except for about uh, 80 years of their existence. And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Of course, their father was Satan. That's who their father was because they refused to believe what God said. And 
Christ's reply to the fact that they didn't want Him to speak the truths of heaven. We see that in Matthew 24, 35. He said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My words shall not pass away. What are His words? Truth. Truth's never going to go away. Truth is the truth no matter what, no matter what, how we describe it, no, no matter what we accuse it of being or not being, truth is the truth. And just like then, when truth unmasks the wrongs of this life, those people who are unmasked by it, they become very upset. They become very nervous. And that's when it comes to the point when we interact with people, that they begin to look at this idea of, well, just because that's what you believe, uh, may not necessarily be what I believe. How many of you ever seen on the side of the, the truck going down the interstate, join the church of your choice? Well, what if we're, what about the church of Satan? Can we join? That's a church. That's a called out group of people. Can we join the church of Satan if that's our choice? Well, that's not reasonable, is it? I think there are probably about six billion people in this world who stand firmly against the Catholic church and the, the errors that they teach. Would most people agree, well, if you want to join that church, that's okay. What about some of the fringe religions? What about the Mormon church who believes that once you die and leave this earth, you can become a god of your own over your own world? Would that be acceptable to join the church of your choice? Or what about the Jehovah's Witness who, who declare that only 144,000 people will ever be in heaven when Jesus said in John uh, 14 that there's plenty of room for everyone? Would that be acceptable to join that church of your choice? What about this statement, we're all going to the same place, we're just taking different roads. See, that's not acceptable to us, is it? Because that's not what the Word says, that's not what the truth says. Here are the facts of the matter. Christ died to build a church, one church. He called it His church, didn't He? Matthew 16, verse 16 through 18. And so let's take His Word for it, and I know we will, but... That brings us to, to the point where we have to be able to speak about the truth. We have to be able to explain the truth. And we have to be able to impart it in such a way that people can identify with it. Uh, I think that it is better to be divided by the truth than to be united in error. I think Jesus taught that for sure. I think it is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than to speak the falsehoods which comfort and then kills. That makes sense, doesn't it? I don't think it is love, nor is it friendship. When uh, uh, we fail to declare the whole counsel of God. I don't think that uh, we're doing anyone any favors by overlooking and not telling them what they need to hear. Listen, I want to know if I believe something that is erroneous. I want to be the first one to know because I don't want to go to hell because of some mistake I've made or some misunderstanding that I've had. I think it's better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. Didn't Jesus live that way? Of course He did. And I believe it is also impossible to find anyone in the Bible who was a power for God, who did not have enemies, and who was not hated. I think it's better to stand alone with the truth than to, to uh, uh, be wrong standing with the multitude. 
And ultimately, it's better to succeed with the truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. Now, that doesn't mean that we are looking to make enemies. That means that we simply need to speak the truth in love. And and Paul meant what he said when he said to speak the truth in love. We can't be unnecessarily offensive with the truth, but we need to speak the truth. Not at any point was Christ unnecessarily offensive. Did He offend people? Absolutely. Every day of His life during His ministry here on earth, He offended somebody. But He did speak the truth in love, and the offense was their problem, not His problem, because He spoke the truth. But the problem is this. When we look at the world in general... Most people do not want to hear the truths about themselves. No one wants to hear where they're lacking in some area, whether spiritually or physically. And no one wants to... uh, Most people do not want to embrace, and when I say most people, I'm talking about the world in general, the responsibilities they have in life. That's why the world has gotten to the point where it is. That's why socialism is rampant throughout the world. And that's why... Crimes of all kinds happen throughout the world and no one wants to take the responsibility for that. And because of that, this mindset, periodically, through time, through the history of mankind, the idea of truth being relative has been embraced and is being embraced. Now again, truth being relative or relative truth is simply saying you may believe it and your truth is not necessarily my truth. Well... I think that uh, that's a problem in the real world, right? And we need to consider that. So the title of the sermon tonight or this evening is, Is Truth Real? Is there such a thing as truth? Is truth real? Well, I think we can determine that. And we need to understand that no matter what someone does, the color black is is the color black. Uh, Light is light, dark is dark, okay? The world is not really made up of a myriad of shades of gray. Not when it comes to truth. When it comes to opinion, what color do you like in this world? Well, there's over 7 billion people and you might have over 7 billion answers, right? Various shades of colors. You know, I can remember growing up when you got that new crayon box when you went to school... I think the box I had had about 27 crayons in it or something like that. When my girls came along, man, they had a box that was big enough. It had every kind of color in the world. And it didn't have them all, right? So there are all kinds of opinions. But when we're talking about the truth of anything, it's either black or white. The truth is this. We see it in the scientific realm. We see it in the physical realm. We see it in... Every realm of life, and it is that way in the spiritual realm. Again, we're not talking about opinion or expediency. We're talking about what truth is. And when we look at the statement Paul made, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, we learn that not everyone's going to embrace truth. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What is he talking about? Truth. He said, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables or lies, right? A fable is something that's not true. 
However, there is one thing upon which we can always count. Truth is real, and we know that because it is absolute. Particularly when we're talking about Scripture. When we're talking about God's Word, truth is absolute. But what is the truth? I think we need to be able to answer that question. Someone says, well, what's the truth? What do you say the truth is? Well, God's counsel is always truth, isn't it? What God advises His people to do and what He commands His people to do, that's the truth. In His prayer on behalf of His disciples, Jesus asked the Father, saying, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. Again, we put the two together. God's word, truth. Same thing. James declared, Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth. James 1, 18. And it's God's counsel that gives us uh, the absolute truth. It's God's counsel that gives us life. And that's truth, right? Without God, we wouldn't have life in any way. We wouldn't have physical life. We wouldn't have spiritual life. Jesus made a statement recorded for us in John 6, verse 63. He said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They're spirit and they're life. It's truth. Now, we may not like to hear the words of life, but that does not mean that they are not truth. Another question a person is going to ask us as we interact with them, they may say, well, how can I know what the truth really is? Okay, okay. God's Word is truth. How, do I, how can I determine that that's what God's Word is saying? Well, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. We can take that one statement and we can look at the denominations in the world and we can see leaders who created a particular organization. And called it a church. What did Jesus say about that? You can only get to the Father through me. He didn't say when some man or woman creates a, an organization and calls it a church, they can get to the Father that way. He didn't say we're all going to the same place, just taking different roads. He didn't say that what's your truth may not be my truth. He said, I am the way, period. I am the life, period. I am the truth, period. If you get to the Father, you'll get there through me. That's the truth, right? That's absolute. That's absolute. And that's God's counsel. That's why Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It came from, it come from God. It's, it's, He is the source. 2 Timothy 3, 16. 2 Peter 1, 3, Peter said, We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. What did God leave out of His Word? that we need some person to tell us because they formed their own religion. Well, if we're going to listen to the Apostle Peter, the inspired penman, we don't need that, right? We can rejoice knowing that God's Word is truth and He's made it available to us. And we can understand it. We can come to agreement on it. Have you ever heard that in the religious world? Oh, you won't. You won't. Well, we can't all understand it the same. Why? Because truth is relative. There's no real truth is what they're saying. Well, truth is real. Truth is absolute. Because Paul told the people that he taught the same thing in every congregation. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. He didn't, there were no denominations, 
right? It was the church that had spread and multiplied, and he taught the same thing. It wasn't their truth and then Paul's truth and someone else's truth. He taught the same thing, and they adhered to it. That's truth. Because of those truths, I think we can be confident in the counsel of God. That's absolute. That is absolutely absolute, right? You can't get more than that. Uh, before returning to heaven, Jesus said, Mark sixteen fifteen, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, what's the gospel? The gospel are the words of Christ, right? What are the words of Christ? It's the truth. Go into the world and teach the truth to every living creature. We go over to verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, we're going to come in to uh, meet people, and, and they're going to want to know what our truth is. Well, we don't have our truth. We need to agree with God on His truth if we're going to be saved. And what was Jesus' words? What was the gospel? It's the truth. And they're going to disagree with a lot of people will disagree with that. And we need to be able to point to them. Previously, He said, and... John six forty five. They shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Heard what? The words of Jesus. What's what are the words of Jesus? Truth. They learned the truth and they came to Christ because they wanted to get to the Father. Is is truth real? Absolutely, it's real. Absolutely, it's real. Jesus taught the apostles that same message. They delivered that same message to the people. And yet people will tell us that we cannot all understand it the same. Paul didn't believe that error, and he didn't teach that error. Without doubt, truth is real. Truth is real because it is absolute. But what good will it do anyone? What benefit will we have if we do not acknowledge truth, God's truth, as the source of salvation. That's our second point. God's truth is the same truth it's always been. When we live in, uh, as we live in the Christian dispensation, the gospel that was first taught about 2,000 years ago is the same gospel that's supposed to be taught today. There's not supposed to be any vary in it, no variation whatsoever according to cultural changes, right? I was listening to the radio the other day, and we're talking about laws and Laws don't change culture. Culture changes laws. Fifty years ago, did we have a problem with two men wanting to get married and calling that a marriage? No, we didn't. That wasn't going to happen. Not fifty years ago. But the culture has slowly changed, and now you can do that. What about fifty years ago? Was was abortion as rampant as it is today? Well, you had people sneaking around and and it was doing it, and you could do it in other parts of the world. But the culture changed, and the law changed. The civil law changes. God's law never changes, because the culture changes. God's law changes culture. That's what happens. God's law changes culture, and then culture changes the civil law. All of the relativism of modern theologians do not change truth. Two plus two is four. That's the truth. We can say what we want to. We can convince someone that it's 5 or 3 or 25 or 97 or whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is 2 plus 2 is 4. 
The truth of the matter is these pews are some kind of shade of blue. Again, I don't know what shade of blue they are, but I know that the basic color is blue. That's the truth. It's not a shade of red. It's not a shade of brown or black or whatever the prime colors are, but it is blue, and that's the truth. And when someone tells us that they have devised a better plan of salvation that somehow escaped the apostles and the faithful brethren along with 2,000 years, that ought to be a red flag to us, right? The truth is the truth. Jesus spoke the truth then, and we're to repeat the truth today. But He warned us about those people. He warned us about them. He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, Matthew seven, fifteen. Unless truth is absolute and we acknowledge that it is the source of salvation, that it doesn't vary, we can't have the victory in Christ. And He is the source of that. We can have victory. When Jesus sent the apostles to preach the gospel to every creature, this is what He promised. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And Paul exclaimed in Romans 1.16, recorded for us, that the gospel is the power of salvation. Again, what's the gospel? It's the words of Christ. What are the words of Christ? It's the truth. The truth is the source of salvation. Not my truth, not someone else's truth. God's truth, right? Is truth real? Absolutely, truth is real. And so, when uh, we understand and we believe the truth and we act on the truth, we can have the victory. Now, here is the thing. It's not a matter of personal preference. Not a matter of personal preference, right? I may be inclined to enjoy something, but it's not my personal preference to add that to God's truth. I need to change my behavior, right? And that's what he expects. Now, we have to understand this idea of acknowledging. What does God mean by that? Is it a mental assent? What does it mean to believe the truth? Okay, I believe that someone made a statement. Well, you might say you believe it, or you might acknowledge that they made a statement, but you don't do anything about it. Okay? If I truly believe something, I'm going to do it if I truly believe it. If someone said, hey, if you'll walk around the building twice, I'll give you a million dollars. You better believe if I think that's true, Martin's going to see me walking around the building twice because I want the million dollars, right? Okay, if someone says, you need to believe on Jesus, you need to repent of your past sins, you need to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, you need to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, and you need to live a faithful life. If I believe that, words of Jesus, not mine, words of Jesus are truth, you're going to see people do that, right? Or else they don't really believe it. Or they just don't care, one or the other, right? So it's not a mental ascension. It's not enough to just simply acknowledge that that's what Christ said. We have to accept it. That's our third and final point. How do we accept the truth? Well, simply in a word, we obey, right? We obey. I've used this example. I can't think of a better one. When my dad told me to stack wood on the porch, 
One time I didn't do it. I obeyed after that one time because I believed him in what he said. And then so I didn't fail to do it any longer after that. He said, put some wood on the porch. Hey, I put enough on there for the winter. I didn't want to take any chances. I wanted to make sure I did what he told me to do. And so we have to obey. That's how we become Christians, right? The Apostle Peter uh, did not was not aware of the doctrine of mental ascension, faith only. He wasn't aware of that. He spoke the truth. You don't hear him speaking that. He said, it's 1 Peter one twenty two. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Not thinking it was real. Not making a mental ascension that Jesus uh, is the Son of God. He said you obeyed the truth. Again, what's the truth? The words of Jesus. What's the, what are the words of Jesus? It's the gospel. Jesus said to believe on Him. He said to repent. He said to confess. He said to be baptized. He said to live faithfully. That's the truth. That's absolute. We have to acknowledge it. And we have to accept it. And we do that through obedience. James said that demons believed and trembled. Do the demons, the departed souls, the departed spirits of wicked and evil people who know that their eternal destination is hell, as they are lifting up their eyes alongside the rich man of Luke 16, do they realize they're going to be in hell eternally? Yes. Do they believe in God? You better believe it. But there's nothing they can do about it at that point. They believe they never obeyed. They never obeyed. God has always required faith and obedience. All down through history, humanity has been saved the exact same way for 6,000 years. Grace, faith, obedience. Now, the mode was different under the patriarchal age. It was different under the law of Moses, and it's different under the Christian age. But it is God's grace. He wants to save us. We don't deserve it. Our faith that He is who He said He was, our, our general faith, right? Our personal faith, believing the system of faith that He has provided and obedience. The writer of Hebrews listed a whole lot of people in the Old Testament in Hebrews 11 that lived by faith and they were, and it was obedient faith and they did that. But once a person dedicates himself to God to obey, he has to then offer himself as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, right? As Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he described faithful living. He warned the hypocrite of the dangers of not obeying God. And then he asked this question, Luke 6, 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How can someone claim to be a Christian and not be faithful in their lives to God? It doesn't make sense, does it? We have to make the hard choices and we have to be able to examine ourselves. And I need to be able to look at myself honestly. And say, am I doing the things that God asked me to do? Paul told the Romans, Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. He said, but God be thanked that ye were once the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. To one obeys the truth and lives for God, freedom is not 
an option, right? The writer of Hebrews warned Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all them who obey Him. Hebrews 5, 9. Not all those who simply believe. Not all those who have fooled themselves into thinking they're okay when they're not. So try as we might, no one yet has been able to find a way to be saved and to get to the Father outside of the written truth and by obeying that truth. We can't wish our way into heaven. We can't work our way into heaven. And we can't sit in the pew our way to heaven, right? We have to be faithful. We have to ask ourselves, do I know the truth? I may know it, but have I obeyed it? Maybe I know it, maybe I obeyed it, but do I continue to obey it? Until one accepts the truth of all the things we talked about, we talk about the plan of salvation, we understand what that is. We understand about repenting and coming back after we've obeyed the gospel. We know that. But do I put it to use in my life? Those are the words of God. Those aren't my words. And we can prove each one of those statements by the Bible. And that's what everybody ought to do. We hear someone teaching or preaching a supposed truth from the Bible. We need to ask them and demand it. Well, prove that to me. Prove that to me. Where does the Bible teach that? We need to go over and be able to go into the Bible and say, this is the truth. Not my truth, not someone else's truth. This is God's truth. And that will help us as we reach out to those around us. But we have to do it in, in, in a spirit of love, right? We have to, we have to want that individual or those people to be saved. But now, we cannot continue to try to teach someone who has decided they've got a better plan. We need to love them. We need to be available if they change their minds. But sometimes there comes a point where we have to move on to some better ground, right? We have to move on to some better ground. Sow the seed and see if it'll come up there. Never stopping along the way. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation at this time through initial obedience or through repentance and coming back to Him, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.